What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster, T.O., and Fanta Podcast, the DTF Podcast, your favorite weekly college basketball show. My name is Rob Doster. I'm joined today by my lovely, lovely co-host, the one and only John Fanta, who had the call of the weekend as he yeah, went into the garden and knocked off St. John's, and Terrence Oglesby, former Clemson star, who's uh, fresh off of his own radio broadcasts, uh, gentlemen. How are we doing today? Everyone, everyone fired up for Christmas. Everyone fired up for the holidays. Everyone, I'm fired up for like four days off. This is gonna be great, man. I'm juiced. I'm juiced. I got back. I, I saw some warm weather. It was about 80 degrees down at West Palm Beach. I was calling women's basketball, which was adventurous. It's. I, I thought the Big East was physical. Go watch some women's basketball. That is physical because there's not a whole lot of vertical play, but it's all done on the floor. And those women were about to kill each other. And the refereeing was sporadic. And as Fanta well knows, he covers a lot of women's basketball too. And it is an emotional roller coaster. That's <laughs> I'm gonna, all I'm going to say about that. But it was fun. And now I'm, ex- I, I'm excited to actually see some games. ACC has some games tonight. And um, should be good. Should be good. I'm excited for Christmas as well. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Ho, ho, ho. Santa comes this week, and uh, some teams could use a visit from Santa Claus. Everything is great. Uh, Ready for the holiday season. Ready for mom's beef tenderloin. Ready for, uh, you know, a couple of days to hit the refresh button. Want to give a shout-out to Jeff Goodman, who who not only is taking a couple days, it sounds like he's going to take the next month off in the island we don't we don't shout out jeff goodman on this podcast this is this is an anti jeff goodman podcast he sent us a picture last night by the way of uh, of the beer that he was drinking in puerto rico right now and it was called like med i thought it said medellin but it didn't have like an it was it looked like the worst beer in the planet so uh yeah i mean it's a tough life jeff goodman leads this is fourth vacation uh, the first six weeks of the college basketball season so i you know i feel for him man he's got a tough life Right, exactly. Uh, no, everything is terrific. And uh, look, the it's an interesting week right now in the state of college basketball, but the basketball that's being played, we continue to learn some things about some teams. And as we do this podcast, we're uh, a night removed from an interesting evening of games with, with Villanova, with their backs against the wall. As much as your back could be against the wall at this point in the season – they found a way past Xavier and uh, the other main game last night, Connecticut facing a Marquette team without their second leading scorer, Daryl Morsell, but you're still on the road. Quieting down the haters, the haters. Yeah. They're quiet this morning, John Fanta. They are quiet this morning. Yeah, it's a victory Wednesday. The Huskies did find a way. 
uh, to get to one and one. How about next week, the Sinta Center? Next Tuesday night, December 28th, Xavier, Connecticut. Fascinating, fascinating matchup. Uh, but the Huskies had to have it, and they got it, and they find a way here. Uh, last night, I know you're a happy camper on this Wednesday. Yeah, I was, I was very happy. I was watching the end of that game live on uh, After Dark with the Miller brothers. And if you go back and you watch the video, you just see me. I'm sitting here like this, trying to have a conversation with them, watching the last four minutes of that game, sweating it out. Uh, We got a lot to talk about today. We got to get into the North Carolina-Kentucky game from over the weekend. We are going to talk a little bit about the Crimson Tide, uh, T.O.'s favorite uh, Alabama team. Um, We'll touch on a little bit on some of the forfeits and some of the cancellations that are going on in the sport. And I also want to pick your guys' brains, not only on your naughty and nice list for college basketball this season, but I want to hear about your Christmas traditions. I want to hear what you guys do Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, and most importantly, Finn, I want to hear about the meals that you guys make, because that's what I'm here for, is the food. Uh, But before we do all of that, Terrence Oglesby, I know he played at Clemson, but he is a confirmed Big East guy. And last night in college basketball was all about the Big East. T.O., let's talk with, uh, or let, let's start with Villanova Xavier. Uh, we were, we have a little text chain going between the three of us. And about four minutes ago in the first half and through halftime, through the end of halftime, we were sitting there. That text chain was going off. Xavier is kicking Villanova's ass. We knew Xavier was going to be awesome. I told you they were the best team in the Big East. This, that, the third. Comes out in the second half, Villanova big boy them. Talk to me about that game. Talk to me about your takeaways from that performance. Well, in the first, my concerns with Villanova are still the same. Like, if you can guard them one on one, you're going to be able to give them fits. And let's just call it what it is. They got some home court Villanova calls too to kind of get those runs going. That's what happened. It was at Villanova. I'm not telling some kind of tall tales. That's just the bottom line. I do. I still like Xavier. I think they just got they got cold. I don't know how how else to put that. They got cold. They couldn't hit shots. They struggled to get in the paint a little bit. And Villanova really locked up on defense. But in the first half, I mean, you're going to start out that hot from three. It's going to help some things. I mean, he they threw one in from the V. It was supposed to be a pass, and it went in. It was just God telling you that Xavier was going to come out on top in the first half. Second half, they struggled to maintain. And then, you know, Villanova found some better ways to get into the paint and, and you know, from what I saw, and I was in the air when this game was going on, but Xavier, whenever Villanova started running more ball screen actions, Villanova was able to get in the, in the, in the paint. And whenever they did so, that's when they're at their best because then they can just pick, they can attack closeouts and things of that matter. But I just think Villanova, if you can guard them one-on-one and you take care of the glass, because if they're able to get on the offensive boards, that's when they fan out for threes because that's the best time to take a three. Because the defense sucked in, you find guys out on the perimeter, it's target practice because you're stepping right into the pass. That's when they can really beat you. But I'm not off the Xavier bandwagon. I still think they're a top four team in the Big East. I don't have a particular order right now because it's still up in the air. But at the same time, you have to be pleased with part of their performance. Villanova, you know, they're just going to figure things out. I mean, it was gut check central for them. They needed that after coming off a 20 point loss at Creighton, which Creighton's been one of the most surprising teams in not only the Big East, but the country, because they've just been able to win. I mean, sometimes it hasn't been 20, but that hasn't been pretty, but they've been able to win. And they Villanova needed this one. And that second half nut up was probably exactly what the doctor ordered going that, into That Christmas. was a culture win, right? Like that, that was a hundred percent, a hundred percent a culture win. 
yeah, that was that was where Villanova said, you know what, enough of this bullshit. We're 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 going to get this thing done right now. Um, I was really impressed, Fanta, uh, with their ability to kind of take away Xavier's big guys. Like Jack Nunji didn't do all that much. Zach Fremantle didn't do all that much, and that was where we were like, yeah, you know what, I don't know how Villanova is going to be able to deal with any of that size that uh, that Xavier has inside. Well, you're right, and, and I think that when I look at this matchup. Um... Paul Scruggs and Kobe Jones combined had seven turnovers, the majority of them coming in the second half. Xavier was trying to throw entry passes into their post players, and that just didn't work. Some lazy passes in the second half. You can't get lazy against Villanova. That's one thing you cannot do. And so regardless of the fact that if if Villanova is currently constructed, if you play a half-court game and you say we're going to out-rebound them, and we're going to defend, and you're probably going to have a, a, a decent shot, they still reminded us last night that if you make mistakes against them, Jay Wright has developed a system that will capitalize off said mistakes. Xavier had 13 turnovers, the majority of them in the second half, and they started six of six from three. Six of six from three. They proceeded to miss their next 17 three-point attempts. That is incredible. I don't think I've ever seen that in a game. Villanova actually went back to the well and went old school on us. They turned this into an old school game. They did not win this game with a three-point shot. They only hit one three in the first half. They hit five in the second half. They did. This is the team that, that was averaging nine-ish threes a game, eight to ten threes a game. What they did in this game is they they did defend ball screens really well. They cut Xavier off from the post, so they forced Xavier out on the perimeter to hit tough contested shots. And then I thought that in the in the second half, especially Villanova finally started to hit like Villanova was eleven for sixty in their last five halves of basketball at halftime last night from three. Eleven of sixty. Somewhere along the road in those sixty threes, you're you're getting a lot of open looks. But at some point, you have to say, it's not working. We have to take the ball to the cup. They attacked. And I thought it was very symbolic at the end of the first half last night. Caleb Daniels drove the ball and threw down a one-hand slam. It was almost like an anger, an angry slam of like, we are so tired of not being able to hit perimeter shots. Just go to the rim. And that's exactly what he did. So four players score 15-plus points. I learned a lot about Xavier in this game. I don't, I don't even know how much I learned about Villanova other than with their backs against the wall, they did what you would expect a team that's won, a program that's won two of the last five national titles. They found a way. They got to get, though, big picture, Jermaine Samuels has got to start to be better on the offensive end of the floor, and he knows it. Two of seven from the field again last night. He's, he's just struggled here early in the season. I feel like the breakout's coming, but they got to figure that out here, big picture. Yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of a, a pretty good encapsulation of why this Villanova team is not what the other Villanova teams were. Because Jermaine Samuels is probably at his best. Like, if you if you put him in the perfect role, he is your fourth or fifth option offensively and a guy that's out there to be switchable on the defensive end, to go out and get some rebounds, to be tough, to be physical, to be the guy that, like, sets the tone – of physicality you don't want him to be the guy where you're like yeah we need him to go out and get us 15 points right I think you could say the same thing about Brandon Slater like him in an ideal world is a three and D guy 
He catch and shoots, uh, catches and shoots open threes. You lock up people on the defensive end, and you don't really have to rely on him to do too much creative stuff. Um, their issue is that, like, they don't have – I mean, we've talked about this before. They don't have that first guy to kind of – like, their their entire offense is uh, drive, draw help, kick. Attack a closeout, drive, draw help, kick. Get in the paint, jump stop, find an open shot, whatever it is. Like, that's it, – it's very basic, simple stuff, but they don't have the first guy to create that action. So, I think that's pretty symbolic of what the issues are with Villanova. Go ahead, T.O. Oh, muted. I remember my first podcast. When it comes to the mute button, I am struggling. <laughs> uh, I will say this. Eric Dixon looked a lot bigger last night than he did against UCLA. Yeah. He's like big. he looked really big. And Fanta, you alluded to them trying to get the ball in the post. Eric Dixon, he might not be the tallest dude in the world, but that sucker's wide and he is strong as an ox. He puts his chest on you. There's a big difference between Xavier doing, doing, you know, throwing the ball in the post at the block and then trying to enter a post feed to 15 feet out. And yeah. then that closes the gap for the guy guarding the ball. You're going to turn the ball over because you're in such a condensed area. So defensively, Eric Dixon was huge in being able just to root out. If nothing else, play physical and root them out to the mid post as opposed to Fremantle and Nunji getting it way deep on the block. I mean, that the difference between – Three dribbles and one dribble for a big man, for, for big men in college basketball, the percentages are huge. And I thought Eric Dixon was terrific doing that. You know, one, one additional thing on the Big East for a moment, and, and this, this needs to be told. There is a clear mental edge that Villanova has in this conference. There is. Um, and that's why it was so shocking to see Creighton beat Villanova on Friday night the way that they did but especially at home and especially at the pavilion where since 2013 Villanova is 41 and one in big East home games at the pavilion in particular the, last night, you said it, that Xavier went cold. Xavier was like the bride at the altar who got cold feet and told everybody, I can't do this anymore. And they ran away. They ran out of the church. That's what it felt like. At least Xavier was in a prime position to get married last night and get, get their vows sworn in and be told, you are the best team in the Big East. They were playing like it. They were playing like it in this game. The mental edge that Villanova has should not be overstated. It, I liken it to, I liken it to Kansas's streak of 12 Big, e, or Big 12 regular season championships. People seem to, to not always remember. Villanova's won seven of eight. Uh, the one that they lost, they lost by a single game to Xavier a couple years ago. They have a mental edge. I thought last night, I still think Xavier has more ways that they can score the basketball right now. And they lost the game. There was a lot of, I, I thought in the second half, as much as I didn't think there was a necessarily a major shift in the way Villanova was playing. Villanova plays one way. I thought that mentality changed a lot. And I thought Xavier got pretty passive in the final 20 minutes. And it led them to really getting some cold feet and losing this basketball game because Villanova just seems to be a different force, particularly at their campus building, which didn't even have students inside it last night. It had a wine and cheese crowd. I will say this. There were two, there were two possessions in the first half on Xavier's threes that were just get the ball out of the rim, take off. Villanova doesn't communicate and they throw it up to the wing and it's a wide open three. Second half that didn't happen. They weren't getting those same opportunities. So 
obviously Jay Wright went in at halftime and laid into some people, but they just weren't getting the same quality of looks. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to some of these other teams in the Big East. Uh, Providence went into UConn, beat up on the Huskies on Saturday. UConn bounced back with a win on Tuesday going into Marquette. Marquette was without their best player. We'll get into that conversation in a second. But, uh, Fanta, where do you – where do you slot Providence now? Like the the whole the whole season up to this point, we've kind of talked about how it was Villanova and Seton Hall and UConn and Xavier, and those are the four teams that are kind of at the top of this conference. Where where do you have Providence in that picture? Are they good enough to kind of crash that party? They are good enough to crash the party. Uh, I, do I think that they will win the Big East? I, I, I'm not saying that, but. In a year like this, where the league kind of has a wide openness to it, and right now we're off to a bit of a strange start to conference play with with some forfeitures and some interesting circumstances, uh, the fact is the Friars are 2-0 and now in the Big East, and they're 11-1, and rather 12-1 and technically on the season here. This is a basketball team, though, that is a really difficult matchup. In fact, I would fit them into a puzzle of saying – I think they're a tougher, like one game matchup. If I have to, if I had to take a team and put them in a simulation of one game between the coaching of Ed Cooley and between their makeup, as you saw on Saturday, Robin Teo, the Friars are a difficult team to play because on offense, Providence runs their flex stuff, but also does a good job of of running guys off of screens setting them up for open shots and and it's Ed Cooley's stuff that really works well and worked well on Saturday A.J. Reeves was the difference in the first half by hitting a couple of perimeter shots this is not a pretty team they don't win pretty that's not what Providence is Saturday's game was ugly but it doesn't matter they got a little bit of pretty a little bit of pretty from A.J. Reeves in this game they have the constant in a five-man in Nate Watson who, if he's not producing points, he at least is taking up the space, the real estate inside that you better take him into account or else you're going to pay. And then I think for them, the last couple of years, Providence has not had a lead playmaking guard. Yes. Some some people may say, well, wait, wait, John, you're wrong. David Duke. David Duke was not someone who was playmaking for other people. He could score the ball himself. He could do things himself. Al Durham, who um, actually has some New York roots to himself, a kid from down south with some New York roots, he plays the game that way, guys. Ed Cooley has unlayered new parts of Al Durham's game and allowed Al Durham to really break out of a, a shell and be the lead playmaking guard for this team. So when you combine that with a, a terrific big man, a senior in Reeves who's been doubted, and now Reeves doesn't have to be the guy. He can get set up from someone. Jared Bynum doesn't have to be as large of a role. He's more fitting in his role right now. And Noah Horkler and Justin Manaya can both be X-factors. They've got some depth. They have several fifth-year players. And they have a coach who, who frankly, coming into this season, was totally doubted. The Friars yeah, are a factor. The thing about Cooley that makes him so good – Terrence, we were talking about this a little bit before, is he is so smart with some of his game plans. And they don't always come off, but he's he's one of these guys that can scrap what they do and do something totally different and kind of catch you off guard. Like they don't, they never switch everything. And when they played against UConn, they switched 
everything. And they took UConn all, out of all of their, yep. like UConn runs a ton of sets. Like everything they do is sets. Everything they do is scripted. And once you can, if you can kind of take them out of that, then you run into a situation where they're like, you got to go win a one-on-one matchup. And without Adama Sanogo, they didn't have that. Um, Tio, where do you stand on the forfeits? I, I, my, my, my take on this is that it's that you should never be having forfeits when stuff is spreading like this. You, we, we got to get rid of that. There's no reason why you should be forfeiting games for something that is completely out of your control. Right. I don't know who's, I don't know if the best teams in each conference are going to win the conference. Like that's kind of where this thing is. Like DePaul starts off great. Now all of a sudden they're owing to a conference. How about this? What you want to hear something crazy? DePaul is nine and one overall and Owen two in the big East right now. There's no way that that should be something that happens. We no. got to get rid of these forfeits. No, so something's got to happen. And I, I would go back to what Frank Martin said and what NATO said, like, we got to figure out ways to play these games. We've got to figure out ways to play these games. Obviously the forfeits hurt. Uh, you know, the, the, the sad part about the whole situation is, is there's been teams who've had games canceled and they've had to forfeit and they've had a hundred percent vaccination rates, Boston college, for example, at least give them the shot to go play. That's where the whole issue is. Like, we were at a different time whenever these policies were put in because we tried to put incentives on vaccinations with players. That's what we tried to do. There is no longer those incentives. So you're taking away what you were telling them was going to be the positive in the first place. So it's like I, there is no right answer except for, hey, we need to – it might be time for us to realize this is something we're going to have to live with. And, and I, I don't know what the right answer is. You can't, you can't do a forfeit. You can't yeah. do a forfeit because okay. it's Maybe. not right. There's nothing they can do. It's completely out of their control. Yeah, so the you have to reason, figure something out. The whole reason you put those forfeits in was to make sure that uh, teams that had large unvaccinated populations on their roster got hit. If it was your fault that the game couldn't be played, then you took a loss. The problem is all the teams that are are uh, taking losses right now are teams that are like it's vaccinated players. Yeah. Right. And yes, they should probably get boosted because that will help the protection and help you from uh, from from testing positive. That's that that would be a good thing to do. But uh, we have to get rid of the forfeit rule. If games got to get canceled, like it sucks, but I understand it. Right? There's there's people in charge of health decisions that are going to be overruling whatever coaches want. Um, but you cannot make that be a loss in the conference standings. Like that 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 specific part of this rule has to go. Yeah. And uh, fans, I know that you. I mean, you're you're. Uh, you're in with the Big East. I, I don't know if you have any insight on this. I don't know what you can actually share, but is this something that uh, is the Big East actually thinking about changing this? Cause they have to, they have to eventually. Well, uh, of course that there, there are ongoing discussions and I would just submit and say that on any matter, this is not the commissioner of the Big East conference who is Val Ackerman. This is not Val Ackerman sitting inside an office and hitting a button. It's not how this works. It's not how college athletics works. So people need to understand a little bit here. And it's not going to change the way you feel about it. I understand the feelings about it. Totally understand. And I'll get to that in a second. When these decisions are put into place, they are announced by the Big East Conference. They are voted upon by the 11 athletic directors and 11 presidents of these institutions. And a vote and discussions were handled. And the fact is that when you, when you start, when you have one or two of these things pop up, 
The rationale that goes into people's heads is, well, if we do some dramatic shift, or then why, why did we spend the amount of time we spent on putting the policy in place to begin with? Real, real quick, not to cut you off, Fanta, but there's literally like breaking news as we're, we're sitting here. Uh, Matt Norlander just tweeted that the Big 12 has reversed their forfeit policies. Um, so there, there will be no more forfeits in the big 12. So that's the first one that, that might be the first domino to fall to kind of get this thing. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the situation where the big 12 calls the meeting, they do vote on it. Their athletic directors vote on it. The con the conference issues, the policy, the conference does not make the policy. The, the league schools make the policy and, and the schools vote on this and they put it into action. Um, there are meetings happening daily, hourly, minute by minute. They're, they're going to get this right. It, remember that there's a lot of lawyers and a lot of health experts that are at hand here. A lot of lawyers. The biggest hand- issue is the lawyers because everybody's scared to get more sued. Lawyers. More lawyers. That's the on biggest that. issue is the lawyers because everybody's scared to get sued and everybody's scared to make a step. That's the world we live in right now. Everybody's scared yeah. to make the rational decision. Sorry, go ahead. I think more than anything here – you know, if I'm a junior who's now in my third year of playing right now, I just I just got to be – if I'm sitting in my room and my team's forfeiting a game, I got to be thinking, what did I do? Like, what did I do to deserve this? And that's, that's where I sit here inside my home and I say, this ain't right. You know, the fact of the matter is this. For these kids, okay, not, not necessarily in the world, but for these kids, the mental toll – that is being ridden because of this is so much greater than the effects of this virus on them, on them as humans. And that's not right. And that's, that's where I say, you, if you, you didn't do anything, you didn't do anything to deserve a forfeit. And when there are as many forfeits, if not more forfeits than games being played, that's where the equation is problematic. Whereas five months ago, it seemed like a good idea and people can understand why. Today, the fact is, it's just, it doesn't carry the same way. And like everything with this virus, it's a moving target. It's a moving target. In general, right now, though, you know, when, when the professionals are playing through, and man, I'm a hot, I'm a hot pepper right now because... Um, I, as a Cleveland Browns fan, I just, the integrity of my season has been destroyed. Like I, I, I'm without 18 starters on Monday. You lose at the buzzer. You're done. That's, that's your season. You get up every Sunday and you say, I'm really excited for my team. My season's over now because I have asymptomatic players sitting in their basements. That that's off. Like that is horrendous luck and just awful. But I, I digress. When we, when we change that playing through versus forfeiting games in the college ranks, in the ranks where we're, we're institutions of higher learning, and we're also trying to teach lessons to kids, but we're also trying to understand that these are kids. These are kids. Nobody wants to forfeit games. It's a bad solution to anything. Forfeits stink. And when you have as many of them, if not more of them, than your actual games being played, that's where this is a problem in general. And that's why hopefully the Big 12 
is the first domino to fall. Others should be able to follow because it's the right thing to do. You got to change from what you've been doing if you have as many, if not more, forfeits than games being played. That's the fact of the matter. We shouldn't be penalizing kids. We shouldn't be penalizing kids for something that they have absolutely no control over. Yep. I also think I also think that the, the notion that their kids like they're eight and I agree with you. They're young, they're young men in that like they haven't figured themselves out yet. I understand that. But if you can send a kid off the war, this kid should be able to decide whether or not like he's able to play or not. Like I, I don't want to get too into this because I think my opinion is going to be a very unpopular one. So I, I don't want I don't want to come off in the wrong direction, but I think there comes a point where like we have to understand that we're going well, to have to here's, live with here's this. what we're going to get to. Here's what we're going to get to, Tio. As as a society, we have to we have to make a decision on whether or not we want if if we're if we're not playing a if because guys are asymptomatic and testing positive, if they've been vaxxed and they've been boosted, um, then everything is going to be, uh, we're going to be dealing with this for a long, long, long time across every single sport. Um, hey, vet factories aren't shutting down because one person tested yeah, positive. That's what I was like, about factories are still working. Like yes. Amazon is still packaging bags. Eminem Mars in Cleveland, Tennessee, they have a, they have a positive test. That guy goes home. Like sports is the last frontier when it comes to this. It's the yes. only one that's still doing this. People are still staying home. Sports yeah, but, for some reason has lagged behind. What we're going to have to come to a point is either things continue to be uh, the, the, the schedule continues to go the way that it's going right now, or we accept the fact that there might be positive players that are asymptomatic playing in games. And Honestly, like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know the right answer because I don't know. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a mediocre basketball analyst that knows how to post stuff on YouTube. Right. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have a degree, like a medical medical degree, or I understand uh, like virology or anything like that. But that's we're going to have to come to a point where we decide. Okay, we we're going to be okay with asymptomatic positive players on a court playing against one another. And as soon as we get to that point, then we can return to some level of normalcy in sports. We're not there yet. So I, I don't, I don't know when we'll get there. I don't know how long it'll take, but at some point we're going to have to accept that is going to be a reality. If we want sports to get back to, uh, to being what they normally are. So uh, yeah. let's, let's, let's I, move on. I, I'm, I'm, I have one thought about this. My, my, here's my final thought. You can't tell me um, that this is okay. That if you've got four or five guys, or let's let's say you got you got two or three guys, two or three guys that are sitting out with COVID, and it's not and they're vaccinated and boosted, and it's really not affecting them a whole lot, and you've got them sitting at home, but then you're able to justify having ten thousand people in the stands. That's right. That's <laughs> that's it. And, it's I mean, it, it's like point, sports is the last one that to finally make the jump to get back to normal. Everything else is open. Like, come on, guys. But let's just let's bare bones it. At some point, we gotta we gotta stop looking at the at the doctors for a moment and say this is just pure logic. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is pure. You got ten thousand paying customers because I know you got to make a gate because you got to function as an athletic department. But you're gonna make this kid sit at home because he popped a positive test. You you want to test the crowd? 
Would you like to test the crowd? No. That's, that's, Nobody wants yeah. to do that. that that's the problem is that the, the only place where we're doing this kind of testing is in, um, is in athletics. athletics, is in athletics where you're getting asymptomatic people testing positive, which is, uh, we're, we're, like I said, we're going to have to come to an inflection point. It's where we, we accept that uh, positive players are going to be competing against each other. Um, and I, we're not, we're not there yet. I don't know if we're going to end up getting there. I don't even know if that's the right thing, but that's just, if you want us to get back to normal, that is something that we're going to have to ex- accept as a society. Uh, speaking of accepting something as a society, Nate Oates lost again. Uh, they got their ass kicked last week by Memphis. Uh, last night, they took on a Davidson team in a game that was originally supposed to be against Colorado State. Colorado State had positive tests. They had to cancel that game. Uh, so Alabama flew in Davidson on short notice, and they could not stop the Wildcats. T.O., what's going on with Alabama here? Uh, the Miller brothers said it last night with you on After Dark. Uh, it's hard to fly in Davidson on a one-day prep. And they move so well. And a lot of the, a lot of the actions that Davidson scored off of, guys, were set pieces that if you had an extra 24 hours to scout, it would have been different. They are very hard to guard. And they had a young man, Foster Lawyer, the Mich- Michigan State transfer, correct? Correct? Yeah, He's yeah, a Michigan yeah, State lawyer. Yep, Michigan State transfer. Yeah, Michigan State transfer. He looks like the ringer at a Merrill Lynch company picnic. Like, he was bringing the ball up the floor. And, like, he looked like he could barely get up there. He was just kind of sauntering his way up. But, man, they've got guys who can really shoot it. They can pull you out, and they're not going to get sped up. Uh, it was – to be honest, the last two losses for Alabama. Against Memphis, they looked exhausted after an absolute slugfest with Houston. So I'm willing to write that one off a little bit. Memphis is all high and high and mighty because they have a team meeting and everybody's happy for the next 48 hours. That's how those things work. They never really fix anything long-term, but those things actually work for probably the next two games or so before the, the same things pop right back up. But so I'm willing to write that one off. This one, I was a little worried right away. I was like, oh, man, Alabama scheduled Davidson. You know what Alabama's going to do offensively, but defensively. And Nate Oates, he got on. He said, you know, we're going to have to guard better going into the season or else we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, but at the same time, Davidson, they will run you ragged because they have shoot guys that can knock down shots from everywhere. They're really disciplined. All these funky actions like the post players going away and then popping right back. The first two possessions of the game – basically for Davidson can tell you all you need to know about how hard they are to guard. And if you weren't adequately prepared against a Bob McKillop coach team, you can forget it. And they can beat anybody on any given night when you don't have enough time to prepare. And I thought that's kind of what happened for Alabama. And offensively, you wish they would have played to score some more points, but I get—I don't even have the, the the final score in front of me, but I mean, 70, it was 79, 78. Um, they scored enough points. So that's not that's hardly getting your butt beat. Like, like it, it, it comes down to you know scouting well, up is very difficult against them. So the the problem is they gave up more than a point per possession against Gonzaga earlier this season. They gave up uh, almost a point. I think it was one point one points per possession against Houston when they gave up eighty two points in a game. They probably should have lost if a goaltending call was made correctly. They gave up ninety two points and seventy six possessions to a Memphis team that looked like they couldn't score on the three of us. Uh, for for much of the season they gave up 79 points to Davidson the bottom line is this you got to get stops 
everyone talks about the pace that Alabama plays at. Everyone talks about the three-point shooting, about this system that NATO has, about how uh, how efficient they are, how on the forefront of um, of, of basketball and, and uh, the development and modern the modern game and threes and, and all that stuff. You can talk about all that you want. Last year, Alabama was a was I think they finished thirtieth in offensive efficiency on Kempom. Last year, they finished third nationally in defensive efficiency on Kempom. They were a an elite defensive team. They are not right now, and that is the difference between what this Alabama team is right now and what they were last season. And I mean, look, Nate Oates is right. You got to get. You can't win if you don't get stops. Now, let's put it all in perspective. Gonzaga, one of the best offenses in the country. Houston, one of the best offenses in the country. Uh, Memphis, apparently one of the best offenses in the country when they actually decide that they want to play. Davidson, one of the toughest matchups in the country, right? Those are really, really good offenses. So there's a reason why they're getting lit up, but you can't deny the fact that they're getting lit up and they have to be better on that end. Yeah, and they're not going to be an elite defensive team this season. They they had Herb Jones and other defenders last year that were, were at an elite level. We thought that this would level out. Uh, but what what has happened defensively with Alabama is is the flip side of things. And the fact is, I agree with what you both have brought up. Bob McKillop is one of the more underappreciated coaches in the country. Yeah, and it showed last night. One day prep for that offense is very difficult. Davidson now nine and two, and it shows uh, that team's going to be in the field of sixty eight and is going to be a dangerous team. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like here, uh, they're they needed that win to have a chance to get a bid, but like the, the A-10 right now is a complete disaster. The Bonnies have fallen off. Richmond is not what we thought they were going to be. St. Louis is just okay. VCU has been decimated by injuries. Um, I, I thought that was going to be a really, really good league, but it's, it's, it, that might be a one big conference. And if Davidson can't roll through that league, I don't know where they're adding any more good wins the rest of the season. They needed this one. So you can kind of, pin that one at the top of their profile, but where else are they going to get a win that they don't have another team that ranks in the top 60 on Ken Palm right now. I'll bring up the net and see if there are any of these, these Atlantic 10 teams are great in the net, but it does almost doesn't even matter because when you're playing a bunch of like LaSalle's 250, Fordham's two, when you're playing those games, it's going to bring down everything in the conference. So it's just, I don't know. They needed this win to have a chance. I don't know if they're going to be able to get this thing done. Man, I think that 20, I mean, 22 assists to 11 turnovers. They didn't get sped up. And Alabama relies on you getting sped up. And every time they tried to switch something, Davidson is so well-schooled, they just had a counter. And, they, and they've and they got guys who can really shoot the ball, not not one or two guys, that, a, a lot more than that. Like, yeah, this this was efficiency versus volume. Yes. Davidson goes, Davidson goes 12 for 24 from three. Alabama goes 12 for 36. And also, like, it was a one-point game. Now, like, like, at the end of the day – Davidson's a good basketball team, and they could roll their way through the A-10. And guess what? If they roll their way through the A-10, if that team is top three in the Atlantic 10 and doesn't have any terrible loss in the Atlantic 10, that team, if they make the Atlantic 10 final two, and you have a road win in Alabama, they've lost to San Francisco and New Mexico State, I believe, is is who they've fallen to. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, man, like, they got to pick 68. They got to pick 68. You got yourself back in a conversation last night, and I thought Luka Brockjovic and Mike Jones were fantastic in this game, and they played well off of Lawyer. The other side of it is this, efficiency versus volume. You're right, T.O. Foster Lawyer was creator. Last night we did see the other side of Javon Quinterly, 
And, and Javon Quinterly fits Nate Oates' system perfect. But he, he fits Nate Oates' system so perfectly that when the system is kind of its own victim, it is Quinterly that you have to look at. Quinterly's mm-hmm. up here, sometimes the other way. Last night, he went 5 for 16 from the field. He went 5 for 16 from the field. He does tally six assists. Six assists to two turnovers. That's fine. Javon Quinterly sometimes has to pull back the shot and understand that he, he's in a position where he's got to create shots for others, and he does a doggone good job of it. But last night, 5 of 16 from the field. I thought he, I thought he forced the issue a little bit at times. I think Nate Oates will live with that, but that's something they have to look at a little bit more so because if he doesn't force the issue a couple times, he might find a shooter – and in a one-point game, one or two possessions makes all the difference. Yeah, I want to circle back on something that you said, Fanta. You said we have to find a way to get 68 teams in the field, which is a perfect segue to talk about uh, T.O.'s past life when he was an ACC guy. He's not an ACC guy anymore. He's a Big East guy now. I'm still an ACC guy. No, no you're not. A, you're, you're a Big East guy. You're, you're on board with us. You're on the DT. stay loyal, Terrence. Well, you are a Big East guy through and through. Look, you can, be, you can be an ACC guy again next year. You can't be an ACC guy when the second best team. No, 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 no. no. You, you don't. You don't just leave your roots. No, you no. You just leave your roots. You got, I'm you, still a Tennessee. I, I still grew up in Tennessee. I'm still a Tennessee guy. What you got to get up about? out the ACC, man. You got. You got to. You got to. You got to cut ties with them. Anyone said that? When we got to. We got to pretend it doesn't exist. You can't. You can't rep the ACC that hard when your second best team is getting thirty pieced by Kentucky in uh in las vegas so i do want to talk a little bit about north carolina kentucky and kind of what that means big picture for the acc as a whole we were talking about it a little bit off air to um are we looking at three bids for the acc outside of duke like who can you who let me let me phrase like this outside of duke is there anyone that you would be willing to put like ten thousand dollars down on to be able to make it to the ncaa tournament is there anyone that you feel confident in saying I know that that team's going to be in. Uh, Duke. Uh, uh, yeah, other than them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it gets ugly real quick. You know what? I, I just feel like the conference season still matters. And I, I, obviously, I, I just feel like Carolina's going to be able to win enough games. Uh, one team that guys are sl- slow to jump on the bandwagon, Londis Williams and Wake Forest. We had Forbes yeah. on the other night. Like, those guys are good. They're old, they're athletic, they guard, and, man, I, I was texting with one of their assistant coaches the other night. That might be the best skip-passing team, and it's such a, <laughs> such a detail. They might be the most best skip-passing team in America because that's, they are able to, like – That's the nerdiest basketball It thing. is. It yeah. is. It's, it's awfully nerdy, but it's become so important in today's basketball game. Yeah, it is. Because it is. they, like, they get into the paint, and the game-winning shot – from Alondis Williams, who had 35, and any other player who has 35 at the end of the game, he's going to shoot that ball because the game was tied. He's going to put that ball up near the rim and try to make it happen. He's a senior who had the maturity to get down lane line, come off two feet, make a skip pass right in the shooter's pocket to Isaiah Musius. Like, I'm talking right in the numbers. And it wasn't just him. Like, Dallas Walton, Charlotte tried to throw a bunch of bodies at Dallas Walton. And he's making skip passes from the block to the opposite 45 right in the numbers. And I was just amazed because it's such a hard pass for five guys to consistently make, and they do it. And what happens when they do that 
is Wake Forest is a threat on every catch because, you know, Musius is not somebody that's going to create his own shot at a high level. He's tried the past three years, hadn't been able to do it. This year, he's getting catch and shoot opportunities. He's getting closeouts. That's great for him. Davion Williamson is very good. A little undersized, very good. But he's really good whenever guys are flying at him. He can make something happen. And Alondis Williams, man, that dude's going to get paid. Some of the passes that he makes, I mean, he's got 30 points, and he finds he never seems like he forces the issue. So I would go Wake Forest there, North Carolina, Duke. After that, it's up in the air, and I can't well, really. So I'm looking at the net rankings right now, and that's what's going to matter is, is kind of where you are because there's a certain limit for uh, – like if you're not a top 50 or top 60 team in the net, like you can pretty much write off the possibility of getting an at-large bid. Uh, right now, here are the teams that are top 50 in the net in the ACC. Duke is eighth. Mm-hmm. Virginia Tech is 28th. Wake Forest is 34th. I think those three teams are going to put themselves in a position to a pretty good position to get a bid. Wake Carolina is going to make it. Guys. Carolina is 46th right now in the net. They're um, going to make it. I think that they'll probably make it. They're uh, going to make it for the same reason they didn't get in trouble for all that crap they got into a couple of years ago. They're going to make it. They bring too much money. They're going to make it. If, if there's if there's like any shadow of a doubt, Carolina is going to make it. Do you know who is the uh, the fifth best team right now in the net in the ACC? Give it to me. Your boys. Out of here. Dude, if they take care of West Virginia and St. Bonaventure, close those games out, we're living. We got to finish games, boys. Yeah, we got to finish games. Balls. If the queen had balls, she'd be the king. Hey, look, look. Those are, those are things you got to fix as the season rolls on, guys. Those are things yeah. you got to fix. The, the biggest issue you're going to run into with these teams is just that, like, there's there's not going to be that level of quality win. Uh, no, you made your bed. Your yeah. bed is made. You know, but your bed is made. If the sheets are on, man, the sheets are on it. Yep. Your bed's made. And this is how it is for any league that might be having a tougher season. There's going to be some teams who make it. I give credit to Coach Forbes. And Wake Forest, I think I think he was a terrific hire by that. Oh, they perfect hire. Well, they had to get that right. And uh, Steve Forbes has done a terrific job in, in a short period of time. And they have – they play – they play incredibly hard. Like, watch Wake Forest play. They embody what he's about. That That's kind of a – it's a hidden gem in the league, and, it, and it's been a little while. But, man, you think about some of the players that have come out of that program <sighs> – Wake Forest is special deep down, and, and I think he can keep that going. I like what I'm seeing from them. Carolina's going to figure out a way to make it. Duke will make it. And, again, they got to find a way to get to 68. We'll see if anybody else uh, emerges as a candidate, but it's a four-bid league max. Hey, you can you can recruit to Wake Forest. Like, I, I don't know if you guys remember it's this. Hard though, T.O. You got Carolina, you got Duke. You got it is hard, but man, if you guys remember whenever hard. I was in school, like 2008, 2009, do you remember who all was on that team? Jeff Teague, Ish Smith, Al Farouk Aminu. Like, and then they they were bringing in two or three McDonald's All Americans. Like, you can recruit to Wake Forest. Who did they lose to in the NCAA tournament? This is a I big could, I, I don't know. I don't know, but I feel they like you did. lost in Miami, in Miami to Norris Cole. Jordan Montgomery and freaking Gary Waters, Cleveland State blew their doors off of them in Miami in the NCAA tournament. I was watching with my dad going crazy, but you're right. I'm watching Wake Forest play that game. I'm like 13 years old. I'm sitting there and saying, "Dad, Wake can get some players." Yeah, this, Cleveland State's not beat. They're they're beating a team handily that has some real players. They got dudes. 
So you're right. You can recruit. It's, it's changed though. I mean, I, I, you got to get like, again, in this sport, get the three star who you think can become the four or five star. So that's okay. Sometimes fans don't love that, but it happens. I, I've watched it with programs in the Northeast. Get the kid who you think can become a four or five star player. Uh, you know, yeah, the difference you know between the three guy? star, the difference between the three star is about three inches and 30 pounds. <laughs> and like, so you're still going to be outmatched whenever you play Duke Carolina. Like, does that? Like, you, you still got to find ways to do it. Like, does that, Robert? It, it was a weird, it was a weird, I'm not going to say it was a weird sign. It was kind of a no brainer to get Forbes because they had a pre, prior relationship over at University of Tennessee because Curry was at Tennessee and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, Wake Forest, the university in this conference is kind of looked at as like a academic, like bow tie wearing, <laughs> like really kind of tight. It's a tight school. Like I, I, I it's hard for me to, I'm not going to say snooty because I feel like the conference in general has that feel, but like, but like a, you know, <laughs> bow tie suited up, you know, uh, corduroy pants and weird shoes. Like it's kind a little, of bit, it's a little bit like Virginia in that sense where it's, it's kind of, there, there's, there's some nerds there, but with a smaller, but with a smaller enrollment, I mean, Wake Forest wait, wait. private school, Hold on a second. Wait, wait. There's some, but there's some, there's some nerds there. There's some, there's yeah, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Rob, you were going to say, you know, who's doing that with the three stars. Oh uh, yeah. The guy that won uh, last year's national title and that is currently sitting at number one in the country. Yes. He's got a couple five stars on that roster, but, uh, the way that that they built that was through guys like Macy O.T. and through guys like Adam Flagler and going and getting uh, Davion Mitchell after a transfer and going and getting Jared Butler on his uh, the second school that he ended up going to and going and getting Mark Vital and going and getting guys like Jonathan Shamwachachua. Like that's look, look at what Jay Wright's doing, right? Jay Wright won titles by getting guys that are like between forty and hundred. And yeah, he's really having a hard time getting players. <laughs> well, no, but he's he's not. Where when when Villanova, when Villanova went from going after players that fit their pedigree to going after the highest ranked players that they could, that's when you saw that dip. That's when you saw them like 2009. They made the Final Four. Then they weren't very good for like three or four years until they started going back to their identity, getting guys like Ryan Archidiakno over maybe some guys that are higher ranked than him, identifying players that fit with what they want. Right, like. Dante DiVincenzo, like he was a top 75 guy. No one looked at him and said, yeah, he's going to end up being a first round pick when he was coming out of high school. Same with like someone like a Mikhail Bridge. Like they, they found guys that fit with what they wanted to do that were not necessarily automatic pros and turned them into pros. And that's kind of the model that you need to follow if you're going to have a lot of success. Can we, can we turn this back to North Carolina? No, no, no. One more, one more, one more, one more. Okay. more. Okay. All right. So the sweet spot, I would agree with you. 40 to 100. You still get the size, you still get the talent, but it's not quite as talented as what people are going to be considering a one and done. So you get to hang on to them. Uh, I, I worked for a guy at Carson Newman University who was telling me this story about him and Billy Donovan. And he said, whenever they had that run with Teddy DuPay, Mike Miller, that made it all the way to the finals, lost to Michigan State in the, in the national championship game. And then all of a sudden, it was cool to go to Florida. And they go get Roberson, they go get David Lee, they go get all these five-star kids. And Billy Diamond said, to hell with that. I'm going to go get the Al Horfords, the Joe Kim Noahs, the Lee Humphreys of the world, like the Torian Greens, like those 40 through 100s, and I'm going to hang on to them for a few years. Now it's changed because now you have to play those kids or the transfer. But that 40 to 100, if you can hang on to those guys for four years, I mean, then you can really be nationally relevant. Yeah. All right. So um, 
let's get into some of our Christmas time stuff. Uh, I want to, I want to do Fanta. This was your idea. You want to do a naughty and nice segment. So I think let's, let's start with the nice. Um, and we just, just kind of roll through. I have a list of like three or four things I have written down for, uh, for, for who can, who, who's going to be on the nice list. So I'm going to go to you first on this one, Fanta. This is, this is your segment. This is your show. Go ahead. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> it's time. Go get it. Get the beard. For the naughty and nice list here in honor of Christmas. We're going to give <laughs> out some toys to the kids. This, this hat's not, doesn't fit me all the way. Yeah. We got to, we got to get, we got to get, <laughs> <bigger hat. laughs> get a bigger hat. I got to get a bigger hat. We'll work on that. On my nice list from a player standpoint, Benedict Matherin. I love this kid. He's been a revelation. He was someone who had to submit his name to the nice list. He probably shouldn't have, but I got to be honest. Had, I, I didn't know a ton about the kid heading into this season. I just hadn't watched that closely. And what I have seen has been super, super impressive. I like this Arizona team. Benedict Matherin makes me love this Arizona team. So ho, 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 Benedict Matherin is on the nice list as my player. The team that's on my nice list, the team that's on my nice list, it is going to be Seton Hall. I'm going to go close to home with the top 15 ranked Seton Hall Pirates. They have shocked me. They they were not on my nice list at the start of the season. They were not. But they have been... Super impressive. What do we say in this sport? You got to schedule people. They had people scheduled and they beat them. Um, And had Ohio State not made a a 30-footer for the win uh, against the Pirates earlier this season, they're they're that shot away from potentially not having a loss on their season. They're a team that I've just been blown away by between the length that they have Tyree Samuel, Trey Jackson, Alexis Yetna, Ike Biagu, Jared Roden has blossomed into a star. And guys, Bryce Aiken has put on for his home state. Bryce Aiken's on the nice list. I'm happy for him. He deserves an extra toy underneath the tree. You know why? He's been hurt for the majority of his career. Bryce Aiken's worked for this, and the Pirates are set up for success. So that's my team. And then my coach, it's clear we go all the way out to Ames, baby. T.J. Otzelberger's at the top of the list. He would be the national coach of the year candidate. Maybe maybe the guy right now just simply inheriting a team that won two games, two games last year. T.J. Otzelberger, you are the king elf this season for what you've done. T.J., you're on my nice list as the coach. Those are my three teams on my nice list and on the naughty list. Hold on, save it, save it, save it. We'll get to that. I'll save it. Go ahead. Yo, give me your nice list. Well, we kind of ruined it when we got into ACC talk, but my player was going to be Alondis Williams. And it's already been said. He averaged 30-something points. He's two times in a row ACC Player of the Week, and he was National Player of the Week. I think Oscar Robertson, National Player of the Week or something like that. And it was deserved. He's terrific. Not only is he scoring at a high rate, but he's unselfish. And I've never seen a player at the college level as composed. That's probably a lie. He's one of the most composed players I've ever seen at the college level because he scores it. 
at a high level without being overly selfish. And it's a season of giving. So what did he do? He gave a present to Isaiah Musius over there in the opposite corner for a wide open shot that ended up being the game winner. Good on him. So for my team on the good list, guys, there's a team in the Southern Conference residing in the state of Alabama that has some big time wins. And they were picked towards the bottom of their conference in the Southern Conference, the Sanford Bulldogs. And I'm going to go ahead and give it. Rob, you rolled your eyes at me for Seton Hall, baby. Come on, Santa Doster. You're not going to react at all there? It, it, look, it is It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> oh, no, Fanta Claus with the, with the hat off. Fanta Claus? <laughs> Fanta Claus with the hat off. Oh, no. Hey, Fanta Claus. So, anyway, Buckyball, 10-2. and two, They were picked ninth coming into the season. And here they are. Their only loss is coming to a good San Francisco team and a good Belmont team. They've beaten Ole Miss. And they beat a bad Oregon State team, but you still got to do it. And they're going on the road to beat these teams. And Quez Glover, the Florida transfer, is really, really good. Put Bucky Ball on the list. And I'm going to say this. Sometimes there's an addition by subtraction situation goes on when you take over a new team. And I talked to him before the season. He said, you know, the biggest thing at a school like Sanford, it's a great campus. I feel like I can win here, but I have to establish my culture and what I want to do. And sometimes you lose in the short term to win in the long term. He got rid of some bodies and he brought in his kind of players. So good on him. Good on Samford. Excellent job by Bucky McMillan. And Bucky Ball is a sneaky pick to make the tournament in the Southern Conference. You got a coach? That Bucky. I'm going Bucky and Samford because all Samford. All Samford. I'm not kidding. Hey, look. There's been a lot of teams. Like, if you want to talk about it, like, there's all kinds of coaches doing a great job. TJ is obvious, the obvious pick for national coach of the year. Like, no, no, no kidding. Another guy you could throw on the nice list, Ben Johnson, Minnesota, has done a lot mm-hmm. despite having massive roster turnover. Throw him on the good list, too. Throw him a couple extra things in the stocking, whatever. But I just, I mean, I, I love a good turnaround story. And he took one of them with Iowa State. But, Ben Johnson is also I, I have been a, good, but I, I, I still think like they're going to struggle when it comes to conference play. You, you want to hear? You want to hear a crazy stat about Iowa State? Yes. Um, so they have played thirty games in the the year, the calendar year twenty twenty one. They lost their uh, their last eighteen games of last season. Right, uh, every game that they played last season in twenty twenty one, they lost. Every game that they've played. Uh, this season in 2021, they're obviously still undefeated. They've won. So they lost their last 18 games, and now they've won 12 straight. It's wild. That is a wild stat to me. Yep. But he already took him, so I couldn't say him twice, could I? Yeah, I mean, why not? He's, uh, he's, he's very, very nice. All how, right, so how, how are we going to roll our eyes at Samford? You, you went all in on Samford. That's I am all in on Samford. I think they're awesome. And I go with a top 15 team. That's a big surprise. And I just, I rolled my eyes when John Fanta went with the, the school that he went to. The, the degree that is sitting on his wall right now is what the, the eye roll. Anyway, it's so. Hard. It's hard. What, what are you going to pick, Duke? It's no. Like, so here's, here's, here's my, my nice list. I'm going to start with the coach. Uh, or no, I'm going to start with the team. Um, I, I put Kentucky on my nice list uh, for the simple fact that um, they've had, it's been a little bit of a rough go for them 
Um, and now you feel bad for all the crap you've been talking. No, 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 no. no here's, no, here's trying to regain some favor with the Kentucky people. That's no, all no, this no. is right now. You listen, can't dog them. You listen, can't dog them and then jump right back on, put them on the nice list because well, your conscience. No, here's what I'm going to say. You're not, you don't even know what I'm going to say. So they've had a rough go of it when it comes to kind of COVID can- cancellations and stuff like that. They lost uh, the Ohio state game. They went out and they played North Carolina. They won that game by 30. They lost the Louisville game. And what they did was they went out and they rescheduled that against Western Kentucky in a game that is specifically being played to benefit the people that suffered uh, from the tornado outbreak that happened in Western Kentucky um, last week. So to me, that is why I have them on my nice list is because they made the best of a bad situation to help people out in that area. And I think you could put coach Cal on the nice list as well too. I can't stand watching his teams play basketball. I don't like the way the brain of basketball that he, he coaches right now but you can't say anything bad about what he does to kind of help the communities. Like I, I specifically remember um, when there was that hurt, the, uh, the earthquake in Haiti and he was able to raise money for, for people. To, I think they raised like a million dollars with a telethon. So uh, he has always done a very good job at, at supporting the community around the program um, and, and being able to tap into uh, the generosity of big blue nation. So I'll put Kentucky and big blue nation on my nice list for that reason. Hey, throw Chris vote on there too. Yeah. Well, Wisconsin. That, that's what I was about to say. The player on my life's list is Chris Vogt because of, of very much of the same reasons. He's from uh, Mayfield, Kentucky, which was the town that it obviously got devastated. Started the GoFundMe. I don't know how much that that's at right now. It made a uh, lot. It, it, but he he raised a whole bunch of money. He's good. And and Kentucky and Western Kentucky and Chris Vogt and like, and you know, put Western Kentucky on that list too. They're obviously taking advantage of a situation to get a game against a program like Kentucky, but they're still playing it. They're still raising money. Um, they were out there. I mean, I saw the images of, of Rick Stansberry helping people clean up. So uh, Chris Vogt, Western Kentucky, Rick Stansberry, John Calipari, I'm putting all of them on my nice list. I, do we I put, do we put Goodman on the nice list for getting no, vote on there and helping no, 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 out? You no, gotta put good, no. Goodman on the nice list. No, no Goodman, no. Goodman's on the naughty list. Like, yeah, no, no. The, when, that, when that dude shows up to work, then, then he'll, we can put him on the nice. List. <laughs> so he, he's sitting on a beach right now in Puerto Rico. Um, and so lastly, the coach on my nice list is, uh, is Scott drew for, um, for a couple of different reasons. You know, he's coming off of a national title. He, uh, he, he is um, sitting at number one in the country right now. But you know what else he did? He convinced me to try to do keto. I lost 15 pounds. Wow. Scott Drew was a guy that put fit me that UConn sweater. Yeah, well, I, I still can't fit into that. I need to lose like probably another 25 to get into that thing. But the, the wild thing, and I'll, I'll give you guys a peek behind the curtain, is I get a text like once a week from Scott being like, how's it going? How much weight have you lost? What do, you, do you have any tips? Like, what, what are your good snacks that you're eating while you're on keto? I'm like, yeah, I love this guy. <laughs> So Scott Drew, thank you for helping me uh, shed some of these uh, these fifteen pounds. Now my plan is to put all fifteen back on. Yes, during absolutely. Christmas, like that's the that's the whole goal. Is you lose some weight just so you can eat like an asshole over Christmas. That's that's uh that's my plan. All right, uh, naughty list. To I'm going to you first on this one. Oh, we t- I tried to talk him up, but I got to go back to it. The ACC is on my naughty list just because I'm <laughs> disappointed. I'm just disappointed. I thought it was going to be back. I thought last year was a um, was kind of a down season, and then this season ends up being uh, a little bit worse. And I kind of want to make an excuse for it, boys, because there it's ACCs and and it's in a transition probably for the next five or six years. I think the next five or six years for the league is going to be huge because you're going to lose even more coaches. Coach K is going to leave. Larry Nega down at Miami is going to leave. Uh, Bayheim might coach until I'm dead, but 
eventually like things have to slow down. And I heard somebody say this the other day and I had a hard time finding a hole in the argument. And it was uh, the ACC was so worried about becoming a mediocre football conference that, that it became a mediocre basketball conference. And it has hurt the league because they forgot what they were really good at, what they were good at for so long. And I think it's unfortunate. And, and, but it, it really, not only that, but it also goes back to like all these coaches retiring, Mike Bray, you have them, you have Notre Dame in the ACC. He's kind of like, he's on the back, he's on the home stretch of his uh, coaching career. I think from what I've heard from people, I don't know that for a fact, so I'm not breaking any news, but you know, it, it, it's a transition period right now for the ACC. So it, it hurts me to say it, but I, you know, as somebody who loves the juice, when the ACC is good, the juice is there and it's coming from the entire East coast, but it's, it's uh, they're on the naughty list because we got to get our priorities in order. We got to, we, we got to become a basketball conference again, which is what it should be. Yeah. I think to your point, Terrence, and I won't put Syracuse in there because they have made a final four, they've made tournament runs, but the fact of the matter is this two programs in particular, when they joined the ACC, we're in very different places than where they are now. Pittsburgh mm. has taken a mighty fall. And Louisville has taken a, a big fall. Louisville basketball is not what it was. Um, and it should be. I mean, the, 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 the fact is, like, that's, that was one of the big brands in the sport, one of the winningest programs in the sport. And you're supposed to be able to count on certain things. Well, when you realigned – you're right. Like you realign thinking that you would benefit and the grass is not always greener. Yeah. Uh, now, now the big East breakup had something to do with that too. Uh, but the fact is it had everything to do with it, but the, the league just hasn't been up to, it doesn't feel like it has a clear identity. It doesn't feel like from top to bottom. Um, there's just some programs that I think are soul searching. Yes. When you, have, when you have that happening in your league, your whole league gets gets hurt by that. It really does. And so I, I think for the ACC, can they figure their way out? Yeah, of course. This is a this is a, a historically down year. And last year, I don't get too into the weeds on like the, the, la, the la, last year. It's hard to it's hard to quantify because just last season was just the strangest thing. I hope we're not on that same pathway here right now. But on my naughty list, the Pac-12. And particularly one team that is two and ten, that was on my nice list a year ago. Oregon State is on my yes. I'm sorry, I'm a big Wayne Tinkle guy, but you're not getting a big toy from me underneath the tree this season, Beavers, because you're two and ten. You're two and ten. That that cannot happen. There are things that cannot happen. That's one of them. So that's that's on my naughty list. Number two on my naughty list: the game. The Texas Tech-Tennessee game at Madison Square Garden is the naughtiest game of the season thus far. I watched that game live, and I am scarred for life. I think I legitimately lost a year off of my life sitting there watching that game. My favorite part of that game was it was so bad that Villanova and Syracuse fans gave us old-school garden with a chorus of boos raining down as the game went to overtime. It was fantastic. It was so good when they were just – just booing players off the court for, for giving them five extra minutes of basketball. I've never heard a boo like that. So that's number two on my naughty list. And number three on my naughty list, 
is when a team calls a timeout the first timeout of the of the second half. They take a TV commercial, but they're already under eight minutes. This happened last night. Then this is a UConn Marquette game. Then at four fifty nine, they take the under eight timeout. Then at three fifty eight, they take the under four timeout. Stop with all the timeouts. It ruins the flow of the game. We we are smarter than this. We are better than this. So if I have a naughty rule that we've got to change, if a team takes a timeout. Just because it's the first timeout of the second half doesn't mean that then if there's a media timeout that you're already sitting on, you have to take that the next stoppage. Let's be smarter than this. Let's be smarter than this and give a crew and the coaches chance to say during the game, let's be a little flexible here. We're going to take our timeout now or this isn't going to be the timeout. I know you got ads to sell, but there's nothing worse than when you have three timeouts in a minute. The game gets ruined in its rhythm. That and they've they've extended the length of the timeouts this year for more ads to try to recoup some money. Which six time and you know Rob as a UConn guy, you should be glad about it. Remember last night, Marquette's on like a thirteen to three run, sixteen to six run. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Dan Hurley finally called a timeout. He finally called a timeout. He said, "Guys, let's go." Then they get it within one, and there's a media timeout. And out of the timeout, Tyrese Martin says, "I'm putting this game away." I tell you what, we if we don't have a stoppage, who knows? Who like Marquette was in rhythm, they had something going. It, it, it's good thing, good good news for UConn last night. I just like we in no sport should we ever have three timeouts in one minute of game time, and that sometimes happens in our sport. And I'd like to revisit that. That's my naughty rule. Yeah, I hate that. There's nothing worse than the than the the timeout, um, the first timeout of the second half than you play for eight seconds and you immediately go to the the TV timeout for like the under 12 or like that. That's got it. We, we gotta, we gotta do something about that. All right. So my naughty list is, uh, is, is pretty simple. Um, last night, Tuesday night, December 22nd, uh, Arizona state was supposed to play Florida A&M at desert financial arena in Tempe. Someone didn't pay the bills that they needed to pay because (laughs) no power, there was no water and there was no uh, electricity. There was no heat. There was no AC. There was nothing at Desert Financial Arena what? in Tempe. So what? my free, naughty free list. Free Bobby Hurley, man. Free, free Poor Bobby. Free Bobby Hurley. My, my, naughty list, hashtag. my naughty list is whoever was in charge of paying the electric bill at, the, at, at Arizona State University. I know tuition is not cheap. I know they got the money to do it. Whoever was supposed to send that check and didn't send that check in, you're on the naughty list. We lost. We lost the game because of uh, a power outage at an arena. I never thought that. That feels like something that would happen at high school. That feels like uh, what happens on the Sunday of an AAU game when you end up leaving uh, leaving the weekend early. So they played a backyard game. They should have played on one of the street courts in Tempe. Yeah, they, I mean, they should have done something. Uh, but uh, alas, we did not get that oh game. I'm God. sure. I'm oh. sure the. I'm sure the the hundreds of fans that were lining up outside to. Uh, to see Arizona. Okay. All right. Don't Boy, don't beat much. down a dead horse, Doster. Be nice to the to the Sun Devil fan. Oh no, I've made Fanta Claus's naughty list, which means it's probably time that we should end this podcast. So uh, it's been it's been fun. We've been pre- we are presented by our partners over at Bet Rivers. So for Terrence Oglesby, for John Fanta, I hope every one of you has an amazing Christmas, uh, and we will see you guys again on the other side of the holiday. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.